0: Turn to Hebrews 1.14. We had an interesting week. I did something this week I've never done before. I actually performed a wedding. Now, I'm not ordained or anything, so, uh, but the truth is they were already married, but nobody knew that. <laughs> what can I say? The wedding, The bride is Nigerian, So the wedding was a lot of fun. We had some uh, friends from the class that were at the wedding. Uh, They had the Nigerian wedding in the morning. I was not responsible for that. In the evening, we had what the bride referred to as the white wedding. She wore a white dress. In the morning one, she had all kinds of dresses. She changed clothes three times in the three-hour ceremony. So it was a lot of fun, and uh, they are happily married, I hope, and leaving on their honeymoon on Wednesday. You ready for this? Should I tell them? They're going from here to Dubai to Tokyo to Dubai to the Maldives to Dubai and home. What could go wrong, right? (laughs) It'll be fun. Um, We are working our way through the doctrinal statement of the church. Uh, This week, we get to talk about angels. Uh, If there's anything that shouldn't be controversial, it should be angels. Well, maybe not. So, we will begin with the all-important question. How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Or how many angels can stand on the point of a needle? Rumor has it, that medieval theologians argued about such things. And I say rumors have it because there are those who speculate that the reformers, when they came along, accused the medieval scholastic theologians about arguing about such things, and maybe they really didn't. But it is interesting because the question actually poses a real philosophical thing. What does it mean for a spiritual being to occupy space? If an angel has no physical body, how many of them can be present in some minuscule physical space? Now, having said that the Reformers may have put this onto the scholastic theologians, in reality, they did argue a lot about angels. This is from uh, Thomas Aquinas, Summa Theologica, and these are just the questions. There's 20, 30, 50 pages of text that go with the answering of these questions. Whether an angel is altogether incorporeal, we're not going to cover that today, whether an angel can move locally, whether an angel passes through intermediate space, You've stayed up night worrying about this, haven't you? So they have thought a lot about angels. And we today think a lot about angels, sometimes correctly and sometimes incorrectly. We think about cherubs that are little angels with their little bow and arrows on the Valentine's Day cards. Um, Probably not a good representation of angels. We think of it's a wonderful life where humans die and they go to heaven and if somebody does something right, they become angels. No, we do not become angels. So, this is from the doctrinal statement. We believe that God created an innumerable company of sinless spiritual beings known as angels. A few important words in here. The first important word is "created." Because we're going to talk in a moment in fact, most of today's lesson is about one particular angel who rebelled against God, and we know him today as Satan. And there are those who believe, for some reason or another, that in the grand scheme of the universe, there's God, and there are is Satan. And they are somehow at the same level of power and strength, and all of life is a struggle between God and Satan. That is, if you really want to know, a Persian religion called Zoroasterism, that there is a God, good, there is a God, bad, and all of history is a struggle between the two. And I actually tell my world history class, because we do talk about Zoroasterism, that This actually does make sense because that is somewhat how we perceive the world. There's good, there's bad, and it's fighting each other all the time. But in biblical thought, Satan is not, not, not co-equal with God. Satan is a created being. Now... That produces all kinds of interesting thought that we might get into in a moment. If I can avoid it, we won't. About if that's the case, why doesn't God just squish squish Satan now and be done with it? Well, he is going to squish Satan at some time in the future. So, first important word, created. An innumerable All that means is we have no idea how many there are. I don't know how many there are. One of the books I was reading this week um, had a long discussion about all the speculation we have about angels. And uh, some of that's okay, but some of it starts veering off into, no, we don't know. The number is innumerable. We don't know. We have a reason to believe that a third of the angels left with Satan and are the demonic forces that we see in the scripture and in the world today. There are those who have speculated that, well, if everyone has a guardian angel, there has to at least be as many angels as there have been human beings ever. We'll have a discussion about guardian angels at the end of this. Company of sinless, wait a minute, Aren't half of them, or a third of them bad? Yeah, but that's going to come later. You remember, in the beginning, God created. First day, he created this. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And it created, and he looked at everything he made on earth and in heaven and said, it is good. It is very good. God did not create Demons, he created angels who fell. Spiritual beings. Next week we're going to talk about, well, us, humanity. And we talk about us, humanity, as being spiritual and physical and a combination of the two. It is what C.S. Lewis refers to as amphibians. We live in both worlds. God, we know, is a spiritual being. He occupies, I mean, he doesn't have a body, contrary to what your Mormon friends might say. So God is a spiritual being. In medieval theology, they had this idea of this great chain of being, There was God, pure spirit. There is angels, created spirits. There is man, which is spirit and physical. There's animals who have life in them of some sort. There are plants who are obviously alive, and then there's rocks. And there's this chain of being, and angels are spiritual beings. Now, in the scripture, we see angels appearing as Well, human beings, and we know that is an appearance so that we, as human beings, can actually see them, but angels are spiritual beings, and they are, as it says, known as angels. Now, at this point, I told you, I am never, ever going to disagree with the doctrinal statement of the church. I do think they have this out of order, though. I would have talked about good angels, and then I would have talk about, talked about the fallen angels, but it doesn't do that. So we're going to talk about the fallen angels first. Okay? That one, Lucifer, son of the morning, the highest in rank, sinned through pride, thereby becoming Satan. Now, when did this happen? Back to our speculation. If we believe that on the sixth day of creation, everything was good, and at some point, Satan tempted Eve and everything was bad, it has to be between those two events. Now, you and I read the Bible, and we have this idea that this was Friday, and then there was the Sabbath, and on Monday, Eve decided to eat the fruit, okay? We don't know that, okay? There's no discussion of time in this. We do know that somewhere in there, Adam got around to naming all the animals. Did he do that Monday morning? I I don't know. Um, Once again, there is speculation That Satan, in his pride, and we're going to look at a few verses about that in just a moment. When he saw that God had created man, and he knew what God was going to do for man, in his pride, he said, Why in the world would you waste your time on those little insignificant creatures? And he rebelled against God because of the creation of man. Speculation. Um... It is unfortunate that a lot of what we know, or let me say, think we know about angels, we learn from Milton's Paradise Lost, which is beautiful literature, but it isn't the word of God. Just saying. That a great company of the angels followed him in his moral fall some of whom became demons and are active as his agents and associates in the prosecution of his unholy purposes, while others who fell are reserved in everlasting change under darkness until the judgment of the great day. So, we have Satan leading a group, maybe a third, of the angels away from God. Now, I know what you're asking because it's one of the great questions. I can sit here and speculate, why did Eve sin? Well, Eve sinned because she was tempted. Why did Satan fall? Who tempted Satan? Well, we know, because I'm going to show you in verses in just a moment, it was his pride. But still, some, no, there was no tempter. There was just Satan. Let's look at some verses. We just quoted this one. How you have fallen from heaven. Oh, this is Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. Um, you have been cast down to the earth, you who once were laid low, who laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned. On the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. The sin of Satan is the sin of pride. What did he tell Eve in the garden? Did God really say you would die? No, you eat the fruit and you will be like God's. Because that was Satan's sin. I will make myself like the Most High. Yes, sir? So, um, the angels that fell, um, did they have free will, or were they ordained to fall? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't want to tell you the question. <laughs> the question was, do, did the angels have free will, or were they predestined to fall? Okay. We're we're going to talk about predestination with regard to humans in as fast a way as I can in a couple of lessons. Okay? I've had whole lessons about it. Uh, I would say they chose. Now, did their choice accomplish God's purpose? Yes. Did their choice accomplishing God's purpose mean that God chose them to do it? That's the argument. I would say they chose within the context of God's purpose. And that's why we have difficulty with the whole doctrine of predestination is because I, in my abilities, choose certain things. But I also know that God uses the best example in the scripture, Judas, to accomplish God's purpose. Yet God was not responsible for Judas making that choice. He used it but he didn't cause it. And I would say the same thing would apply to angels. Once again, it is a hard question because I know why Eve sinned, because she was tempted. What tempted? Who tempted? Was there a flaw in Satan's makeup, his creation that caused him in his pride to say, I'm going to be like God? And the answer is, that's why the medieval theologians argued about it so much. So I didn't really answer your question on purpose. <laughs> but you see the problem, right? And I'm, I'm totally acknowledging the problem. The question is, did Satan choose? And the answer is yes. The question that you want to know is, could he have chosen otherwise? And that's a hard question. The next question that you're not asking is, do angels today have the uh, ability to choose? There is some inference in the scripture that the ones who are in heaven are going to be in heaven, and the ones who are... There is no salvation plan for saving fallen angels, nor is there any discussion about other angels following after Satan and leaving. So it's like they've been locked in to the state that they're in. That's the... Now, all of that comes from the fact you do know, right, that the Scripture doesn't tell us everything we would like to know about God, creation, humanity, et cetera, et etc. Cetera. It tells us what we need to know to serve God to be obedient to God, and to accomplish God's purposes in our life. What do we need to know about angels? Well, we need to know that they minister to us. We need to know that some of them fell. We need to know that Satan is alive and well and doing his thing. But if there's a salvation plan for angels, it certainly has not been revealed to us. Nor should it. Otherwise, the medieval theologians wouldn't have something to discuss. The key is, I will make myself like the Most High. Um, In Milton's Paradise Lost, Satan has this famous line, better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. That is pride. Now, as people have complained about Milton's Paradise Lost, Satan does have all the good lines in the in the book the word of the Lord came to me Ezekiel 28 11 to 19 you were the model of perfection he is talking about Satan you were the model of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty you were in Eden the garden of God you were appointed as a guardian cherub for so I ordained you you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of of God and I expelled you. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. On and on. And the angels, Jude 6, who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness bound for everlasting judgment for the great day. (sighs) Back to the doctrinal statement. We believe that Satan is the originator of sin, and that under the permission of God. He, through subtlety, led our first parents into transgression, thereby accomplishing their moral fall and subjecting them and their posterity to his own power that he is the enemy of God and the people of God, opposing and exalting himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, and that he who, is, who in the beginning said, I will be like the Most High, in his warfare appears as an angel of light, even counterfeiting the works of God by fostering religious movements and systems of doctrine, which systems in every case are characterized by a denial of the efficacy of the blood of Christ, and salvation by grace alone. Wow. That covers a lot of ground. We will talk next week about mankind, and we'll touch upon some of this then. But let's look at this. Through subtlety led our parents into transgression. Eve was tempted by Satan. He accomplished their moral fall. That's next week's lesson. He is the... uh, In his warfare, he appears as the angel of light. The scripture is very adamant. You know, if Satan looked as evil as he is, nobody would pay attention to him. The fact that sin looks good is what makes sin... Sin. It's temptation because it's attractive to you. You know, today, if a snake walked up to you, you're not going to have a conversation with it. You're just going to whack it with the largest big object you have because, well, it's not very attractive to most of us. Some people do like playing with snakes. A little weird, okay? He appears as an angel of light counterfeiting the works of God. It is interesting, when we were in the book of Exodus, you remember Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and uh, Pharaoh says, no way. And then there begins a series of signs, what we refer to as the plagues, and it's interesting because it says that Pharaoh's priest copy the first several of them. You know, the river turns into blood. They get some water. They turn it into blood. And I've always had two different thoughts about this. One of them is it's a trick. You know, hocus pocus. You throw the red dye in the water. You stir it up, and look. I've got blood. But the second thought is that there were actually demonic powers involved. Demonic powers can look like they are doing God's will. What is the word used? Counterfeit. I tell my world history class, actually, I'll tell them on Tuesday, My theory of the history of religion, okay? Because in modern anthropology, we started out, you know, roaming around the savannah in Africa and the lightning struck and we were scared to death of it so we declared that lightning was a god and it was God was mad at us. So then we started finding all the things that scared the bejeebers out of us and we made them all gods and we produced this huge number of gods and over time that huge number of gods worked its way down to a few and then we had monotheism. Now, biblically... We started with monotheism. And then we, in our sinful human nature, started looking at other things to worship. And you know what? Satan was really on board with that. He doesn't care what you worship, as long as it's not God. You want to worship the tree? Worship the tree. Beautiful tree. Nice tree. Worship the tree. You want to worship the mountain? Great, beautiful mountain, scary mountain. Worship the mountain, I don't care. As long as it's not God, I would contend that these false religions are being encouraged, created, spread by our sinful understanding of who God is and a little nudging. By Satan. And I say a little nudging, I don't know what that looks like. To what degree? We're going to talk, well, maybe next week, but it's mentioned today in passing. You know, Satan tempts us. We talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you and I can get into this argument about how much of it's the world, how much of it's the flesh, and how much is the devil. You know what? It's an interesting discussion, but it's all temptation. Don't sit there and stare at it, wondering, is this the world or the flesh or the devil? Just run away from it. Fostering religious movements and systems of doctrine, which systems in every case are characterized by a denial of the efficacy of the blood of Christ. We'll talk about that in two weeks, I think. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. What does this have to do with Satan? It has to do with the fact that when our ancestor, Adam and Eve, sinned, we, being in Adam and Eve, sinned with them. We're looking at the effects of Satan. We all sinned with them. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age a.k.a. Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For such men are false prophets, 2 Corinthians 11, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel. Of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Satan and his followers want to look good. As I said, if they showed up to you looking creepy, you would run away from them. Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. Now, this is just something that I always thought was interesting. What does it tell you to do when Satan shows up? Resist him. What does it tell you to do? I just quoted this a moment ago. When you are faced with temptation, run away. Isn't that the same thing? Not really. When Satan comes and says, let's change the doctrinal statement so the world will like us better. You don't go, oh, and run away you go, no. You resist that because that is the devil at work and you have to say no. And we acknowledge the fact that we have God behind us in order to do that resistance. But when the temptation shows up, don't go, hmm, let me sit here and think about this for a while. Let me analyze this problem. No, run away. Do you see the difference? We have a tendency to want to run away from the fight and sit around for a while and enjoy the temptation. Just saying. Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is wandering around trying to lead you astray. Now, this is my favorite quote about demons from C.S. Lewis. C. S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters. If you have not read the screw tape letters, you ought to read the screw tape letters. If you have read the screw tape letters, you ought to read them again. If you're not familiar with them, the screw tape letters are written by C. S. Lewis, and they're the letters from a senior demon to a junior demon how to tempt this human being. Okay? Um Somebody asked C.S. Lewis once if it was hard writing them, and he said, no, it was the easiest thing I ever did. you have to think like the devil. Okay? And they're fascinating. But in the preface to the book, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Uh, I had a friend, and he brought a young lady over to our house one day because he was thinking about marrying her, and he wanted me to check her out. <laughs> now, they weren't serious, and they didn't get married. But she, being of a more charismatic m- persuasion, saw demons everywhere. You have a headache? You have the demon of headaches. You have bad knee? you have the demon of bad knees. You're feeling depressed, you have the demon of depression. Whatever was wrong in the world, there was a demon and it was doing it and we got to cast that demon out. Uh, Eh, probably not. You remember the old comedian, the devil made me do it. Well, you know, sometimes I just do it for the fun of it. I don't even need the devil pushing me over the cliff. So, The modern tendency is to pretend that there are no demonic forces at all. That is the modern tendency, because we live in a materialistic world. If it's not matter, it doesn't exist. But the opposite tendency is to give them too much power. To think that somehow the demons are beyond God's control. They're not beyond God's control. They are under God's control. Now... We know that God has given Satan certain power in this world that we live in right now. That is the power to, well, tempt us. And back to the discussion a while ago. Why does he do that? And this is one of the great philosophical issues that people discuss all the time. It is known as the problem of evil. Why does God allow evil to even exist in the world? The most common response to it has to do with the doctrine of free will. God wants us to be the type of creature who chooses to follow God, who chooses to do that which is right. We'll get into predestination and all that stuff later. Like, 2092. Um, But, you know, if I build a robot and I program that robot to love me, is that robot really loving me? Well, I could be desperate for affection and may fall for it. But the outsider would look at that and go, that's a little weird. What God wants is for us to choose to follow him. And if we're going to choose to follow him, there has to be a choice. There has to be a choice. And that choice is good or that choice is evil. And you know what? We, being in Adam, being born with a sin nature tend to follow um, after evil. And you know what? That evil has consequences. And that's why we have evil in the world. There are two equal and opposite errors. Okay. We believe that Satan was judged at the cross, though not then executed, and that he is a usurper, now rules as the god of this world, That at the second coming of Christ, Satan will be bound and cast into the abyss for a thousand years. And after that thousand years, he will be loosed for a season and then cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where he shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. We will talk about some of that when we talk about the second coming. (sighs) Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God shows up and says, Adam, what did you do? Adam immediately blames it on his wife. God says, Eve, what did you do? She immediately blames it on the serpent. And God tells the serpent, you know what? You are going, well, out of Eve is going to come, I'll use our word, a messiah. The actual word is a seed, which we're told later is the seed, the Messiah. And you're going to nick his heel. You're going to hurt him. But he is going to crush your head. Satan, did we talk about speculations? Satan thought he won when they nailed Jesus to the cross. You can speculate whether he really thought they had won or whether he really knew. But he hadn't won anything. That was the triumph of Christ over death, over sin, and that is what provides salvation for us. Ah, but not all the angels went bad. There's got to be some good ones. We believe that a great company of angels kept their holy estate and are therefore before the throne of God, from which they are sent forth as ministering spirits to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. I did tell you, right, to turn to Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? talking about angels. (sighs) There it is. So, what do angels do? They minister to God's people. We're going to go on and read another sentence in just a moment, and you probably don't even know it. Remember that verse? Be careful to show hospitality, because you might be showing hospitality to angels and not know it. My contention, there's a big discussion, right? We have very clear evidences in the scripture of angelic beings showing up in human forms to do things. Do we have that happening today? The answer is probably yes, and you wouldn't know it if it did. You just wouldn't. Okay? They are messengers from God. Throughout Scripture, we see the messengers coming to deliver messages. We usually sing about this at Christmas time. Angels from the realms of glory, you know, angels appearing to Mary, angels appearing to Joseph, angels appearing to the uh, shepherds, etc., etc., etc. But throughout the Scripture, We see angelic beings show up, which produces the question, do they have bodies? The answer is no, but they take on the form of humans so that you and I can interact with them. Okay, we know that three guys showed up to talk to Abraham one time, and two of those guys went into Sodom to rescue Lot and people saw them because the men of Sodom wanted to bring them out and have fun. Which brings us to another discussion, though, just as an aside. There were three. Two left. One was left chatted with Abraham. There is a phrase that is used in the Old Testament, the, not an, the angel of the Lord. And we understand this oftentimes to be referring to the pre-incarnate Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace. And they look in there and there's four guys walking around inside the fiery furnace. And the fourth one looks like an angel. Now, Was it an angel, or was it the pre-incarnate Christ? I would contend it was the pre-incarnate Christ, but I bet the farm on it, probably not. All I know is that the king yelled in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come on out. He didn't ask the fourth guy to come out. He was scared to death of that guy. Just saying. So, angels appear as messengers delivering the word of God to the people. But here is probably the most important thing that we oftentimes forget about. Read the book of Revelation. The angels are sitting around the throne of God continually worshiping God. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because you would either lie to me or you'd be embarrassed. How many of you think that's a good thing to be doing? Well, if you don't think it's a good thing to be doing, if you think it's really boring, then you've got a problem. Because what are we going to be doing when we get to heaven? Sittering around worshiping God. That sounds pretty dull and boring. Then we don't understand God very well. Remember, God is an infinite being. We have his word that reveals this much of it to us, God is an infinite being, and we will spend all of eternity understanding the infinite being. And just in case we forget, angels remind us that there is a spiritual realm. There was an article several, several years ago in The Atlantic about, well, basically how stupid people are. And one of the data points that they gave about how stupid Americans are is a large percentage of us still believe in angels. How stupid could that be? Sometimes we begin to live our lives as if the material, even as Christians, that the material world, we begin to believe that the material world is all there is. And the angels continue to remind us. Years, years ago, there was a series of novels that came out. Not the best novels in the world, OK? But at least it gave you this idea that we humans are doing something And at the same time, there is this spiritual thing going on all around us. And that is the image. Um, We believe that man was made lower than the angels, and that in his incarnation, Christ took for a little time this lower place, that he might lift the believer to his own sphere above the angels. We'll talk about mankind next week. But there are two passages. Hebrews, what is man that you are mindful of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. But then in 1 Corinthians, we are told, why do you take your church disputes to the civil authorities? Don't you know that you are going to judge angels? And you can't even judge disputes among the brothers. Uh, all Orthodox Christians are in agreement concerning the existence and purpose of angels. Many contemporary groups question whether or not Satan is real. I mean, they like the good angels. They don't like the bad angels. Satan is just our excuse of bad public policy or something. I don't know. Many other religions recognize the existence of angels. In fact, bunches of them do. You go start reading, you know, Jewish Mythology And it's bizarre. Anyway, what about guardian angels? There are two passages that we usually look at when we talk about guardian angels. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And the one about children having uh, angels watching out for them. Now, we like the idea of guardian angels. And once again, let's not speculate too much. But really, all this is saying is this group called angels is helping this group called people. Now, whether you have an angel assigned to you, eh, could be true. I would love for it to be true, but we don't know. Okay? Conclusion. We believe that angels are created being. We believe that Satan is an angel who, in his pride, desired to be like God— If you leave with nothing else, Satan is not God's equal. On any given Tuesday, God could squish Satan any way he wanted to. Angels minister on our behalf, usually without our knowledge. And, lest we forget, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. There is more to this than just... The material world, and as I said, we are good 21st-century Americans. If I can't see it, it doesn't exist. If I can't kick it, it's not real. That is our—that's our go-to philosophy of life. The Scripture wants us to understand that that's not true. Revelation seven, eleven, and twelve. All the angels were standing around the thrones and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to be, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Why do I even put that up there? Because that's what we want to be doing. That's what we ought to want to be doing. Uh, back to my medieval theology... Uh, They had hierarchies of angels. And what you find interesting about this hierarchy is where are the archangels? They're from the second from the bottom. Why would that be? To the medieval theologian, the closer they physically were to God, the higher they were in the hierarchy. Why is that? Back to this great chain of being, back to... The angels at the bottom are roaming around with us. Anyway, pure speculation. We are out of time. Why do we talk about angels? We talk about angels because the Bible talks about angels. We talk about angels because the angels help us work in the world. They minister to us. And one angel in particular is leading us astray. There is one more question that has to be addressed just because people are interested in it. People always ask the question about demon possession, particularly whether a believer can be demon-possessed. I actually liked what one uh, theologian said in his uh, systematic theology book. He said, I don't even like the word demon possession because it carries with this idea that you're a puppet and you're just being manipulated by someone else. Uh, Are Christians influenced by satanic powers? Most definitely. Can they, through saying yes to those demonic powers, continue to do bad things? Yes, they can. Are we ever outside the power and control of God? No. No. So, um, there are people described in the scripture who are demon-possessed. That means they appear to be totally under the control. And we know that Jesus shows up and says, enough of this foolishness. We also know that unlike the Pharisees, the demons knew who Jesus was. Just an observation. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that we, like the angels, would worship you.